0: This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, August 5th, 2022. Thanks for being with us. This is 91.3 KUAF, your public radio station. And we'll begin with Michael Tilley on the phone from his office in Fort Smith. He's with Talk Business and Politics. Welcome to August, Michael.
1: Yeah, thank you. So far, August has been a lot better than July. Yeah. The cooler weather and the rain. So I'm all for it.
0: Last week, we briefly touched on the fact that there might be a ruling by this time of our conversation about Fort Smith and this recycling lawsuit, sure enough, we have a ruling.
1: Yes. Um, Sebastian County Circuit Judge uh, Stephen Taper has said the city um, uh, was did a bad thing, and they're going to have to pay uh, 745000 and some odd dollars. I think $745,057, I think, uh, back to the citizens. We don't have a clear process yet on how that would work but um what happened is um between october 2014 and june 2017 the city was taking recyclable materials to the landfill instead of properly recycling them and what's more they didn't notify city residents uh in fact and i've, I've mentioned this before and i'll mention it again because i'm very proud of the fact it was our reporting back in 2017 that found this out we just happened to call this company Green Source Recycling in Clarksville who we were told was handling the recycling the folks there at Green Source were like yeah no we haven't uh we haven't seen any so uh that was pretty much out of the bag the city had to admit that it yes indeed had been lying um, um and that's when they they took action then to to fix the problem So there was a class action lawsuit filed in late 2017 by a city resident, Jennifer Marriott. Um, And so that's what, that's been trickling through the court all this time. Judge Tabor ruled uh, uh, Tuesday, um, or excuse me, Wednesday of this week, and said, no, the city, you know, the city has to to pay up. And I'm going to read just this one excerpt. He said, the court finds the class was the city residents that sued the court finds the class paid money expecting in part to receive recycling services. Further, the city accepted that money, knowing the expectations of those paying the money and that the reasonable value of the expected services has been established. He essentially said they, uh, the city agreed to take your recyclables, uh, if you paid a certain part of the fee and, um, and they expected their, those recyclables to be recycled, recycled and y'all didn't do it. So you owe them their money back. And to Tabor um, – and i i got to tell you, I was pleasantly uh, – I'm not sure pleasantly – I was surprised by Tabor's ruling because these circuit court judges here in Sebastian County often find in favor of the city. Not always, but more often than not. But Tabor did not, and he even – went out of his way, I got a little chuckle out of this, in his ruling, he even included the Merriam-Webster definition of deceive um, and essentially said, you boys, you lied, and so you got to pay up. Now, the city has – it looks like they're going to appeal. The statement we got from city administrator Carl Gefkin Said, uh, we believe the court has erred in this matter of law and finding an illegal exaction in this matter. Tax monies, not fees charged for services, must be the issue in a public funds type of illegal action or illegal exaction. Kyle, I'm sure that means something. But um, I'm not surprised that the city is essentially arguing that how they collected the money while lying to residents provides them some cover. Um, I just... I don't know. I just, when the ruling was so clear, I, I somewhat expected, and maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I was a little naive. I fully expected the city to say, okay, that's our medicine. We'll take it, but they're going to appeal. And I've also asked the city what their re- legal costs are in this matter and what they might be on appeal. Cause no telling what the city's also spending when maybe they should just say, okay, we screwed up and we're going to pay the piper and move on. But doesn't look like they're going to do that.
0: So you say they've indicated they're going to appeal, but they haven't formally appealed yet.
1: The board will have to make that decision. But but Kefkin has, in his statement, he's encouraged them to appeal.
0: Okay. Um,
1: Stay tuned kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Building permits in the Fort Smith Metro continue to uh, be kind of hot. Yeah.
1: You know, um, we've had interest rates go up. Um, talk about, you know, things slowing down, especially in the housing market. Um, so you kind of think we're going to start seeing that, but not so much. Um, and we look at Fort Smith, Greenwood and Van Buren, three largest cities in the Metro, their year to date total through July uh, is 287.2 million in building permit values. That's up a little over 57%. That's a good healthy increase. And again, I want to stress that's a healthy increase in what was a pretty robust 2021. So they were up, you know, the, the permit values were up against what was already going to be tough comparisons. And they're blowing those out of the water. Of course, Fort Smith is the bulk of that. They've got about $223 million in permits so far for the year. That's up uh, almost 42%. Uh, Van Buren's permits are $56.6 million, up close to two, uh, 200% had some big projects in Greenwood um, about 7.7 million they're up almost 21 percent so healthy increases across the board some of that what we're seeing is just still some pretty large commercial projects in Fort Smith including that ongoing 162 165 million dollar expansion uh, at Mercy Health in Fort Smith but but um, overall I'm I I think if you would ask me for a percentage increase th- at this point in July, I might have given you a 10 to 15%, not a 57%. Mm.
0: Well, you know, I, I can imagine ArcBest looking at those percentage increases and saying, <laughs> wait, hold my beer. Let me show you what I've done. <laughs> yeah, hold
1: my beer, but not while I'm driving this
0: truck. Right. Hold my motor oil.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, their first, uh, ArkBest, which, Again, their largest subsidiary is ABF Freight, a less than truck oil company, but they've also invested over the years and really built up their logistics division. But their net income in the first half of 2022 was $172 million. <laughs> uh, It's up 104% compared to the same period in 2020, 2021. The revenue is $2.7 billion. Uh, that's well above the $1.7 billion last year, and the company's on track uh, it's post annual revenue above four billion for the first time in its almost 100 year history. So, I'd say they're doing well. Um, and so, and what we're seeing, Kyle, it, it, we've talked about it, is still the unwinding of just the global supply chain kink. I mean, when you had, you know, a billion billions of people, their spending habits changed through the pandemic. We've never we we've, we've not had that in modern. Economic history—just that much disruption all at once across the globe—and so all that's unwinding. Um, but so, but here's an example of how it's benefiting um, companies like JB Hunt and Artbest. So, Artbest tonnage shipped in the first half of the year was 1.7, roughly 1.7 million. That's up 4%. That's not that big of a gain, but the revenue per shipment. Was up 22.3%. So that tells you that people are getting paid premium prices to get stuff moved. Um, their build revenue per hundredweight, which is a very closely watched metric for the company, it's a little kind of down in the weeds, but it was up almost 20%. Uh, and the revenue per shipment in their logistics segment in the first half of the year was up almost 24%. So those those increases in that build revenue and in the both in the, in the trucking and in the logistics. Just gives you a clear example of how much pricing power these truck, trucking and logistics companies have uh, as we, again, as we continue to unwind the supply chain.
0: We'll be studying the economics of the pandemic for a long time.
1: Yes, I, I think it's, I'm a geek for that thing. I think it's fascinating, and I can't wait until some of these early research papers come out about how broad the disruption was and how much it completely changed spending patterns and that type of thing.
0: Well, I can't wait till we talk again. That'll be a week from today on a Friday. Michael Tilly is with Talk Business and Politics. You can read about these items and many others at talkbusiness.net. Michael, thanks for your time.
1: Hey, always a pleasure. Enjoy talking to you.
0: Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The Arkansas Times and the Arkansas Cannabis Industry Association present the Medical Marijuana Health Expo Saturday, August 27th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Northwest Arkansas Convention Center in Springdale. Medical professionals, pharmacists, and local bud tenders will lead seminars on treating a variety of symptoms with medical marijuana. Details and tickets at CentralArkansasTickets.com. This is Ozarks at Large.
2: I'm Matthew Moore. The closing exhibition and film screenings for Feed the Culture is happening Saturday night at Theater Square with the screening of four documentary films at the intersection of BIPOC communities and food. One of those filmmakers is Neba Evans, who I spoke to on the phone earlier this week. Neba got her bachelor's degree at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff and says one class in particular set her on the path of becoming a filmmaker.
3: And I don't think we were doing what we were supposed to be doing in the class, like personally. Like other copy script classes that I heard of, like went over news, news writing, um, or article writing, like these different other things that we should be doing. But we actually were writing films. So I went into the class and she's just like, our teacher, her name was Mrs. Barnes. And she was just like, yeah, y'all are going to write your own screenplay and you're going to film it and you're going to edit it and you're going to be showing it at our film festival in the spring. And it was just like so crazy because I've never, ever like did anything to the scale before. I didn't even know how to write a script, but she was just like, do what you want, pick what you want give it to me by like the end of the semester, we'll work through it. And I'm just like, is this what we're supposed to be doing? Like this is pretty weird. But um, it was actually an amazing experience. Like she allowed us to be creative and think outside the box. um, And she really supported whatever we wanted to do. So it was absolutely an amazing experience. It was so difficult because I never filmed anything. I never edited anything before. It was kind of like a crash course into filmmaking, but that experience definitely like propelled my desire to want to get into filmmaking and create other films and to express not only my voice, but to share the voices of others as well.
2: As you said, you're a HBCU grad. What impact do you think being at a predominantly black institution had on you and your perspective as a reporter and a filmmaker?
3: I absolutely love that question. Thank you for asking. I really feel like for me and I'm going to be honest here going to a HBCU that was the only space for me where I was surrounded by majority of the people that looked like me and that is a space that for an African-American woman or African-American people, we don't really get too often unless we're in you a know, different environment. It was super rewarding to be able to communicate and converse and be comfortable at my university. Yet, we know that there is not a lot of people of color, Um, within the media community, or with filmmaking, TV shows, like movies, or behind the screens, directors, editors, there's just not a lot of us. So I feel like it's rewarding for me to not only be in that space, but to help others share voices, share the voices and stories of BIPOC communities and environments, but also be able to communicate and converse with people who look like me and can help propel my story when it comes to filmmaking.
2: You are uh, one of the filmmakers who's being featured in uh, an upcoming closing exhibition and film screening of Feed the Culture. Um, Tell me a little bit about what Feed the Culture is.
3: Feed the Culture is, like you said before, it is All about our relationship with food when it comes to our memories and experiences and the importance of it. I am a foodie all the way. Shout out to all my foodies out there. I love going to different places, trying new things. It's just one of my favorite things to do. But I think food is very important because that's where we can connect with others. We can connect to other cultures and our food memories are super important. I remember growing up, going to my grandmother's house, she would make us fresh homemade biscuits every Sunday morning with homemade sugar syrup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it will be all my cousins around the table, all my aunts and uncles, and it's just like happiness and warmth, and we live, and she lived in a small, um, it was a small little home in, forest Mississippi <laughs> in the country, you go down the dirt road, but it's just like that experiences or those experiences, something that I would never forget. So I feel like so many people have those different types of memories in love in regards to food and the people around them and who they can share that with. So I think feed the culture is just a way where, We as filmmakers and amazing filmmakers that are uh, a part of the screening and the people um, who will be coming to really kind of connect over something that is so meaningful in a lot of people's lives.
2: So your film, A Part of the Nest, will be screened at this event. You are profiling uh, the chef, Matthew McClure. How did you connect with him?
3: So Matthew McClure is amazing. He is actually not at his restaurant the hive anymore just recently but one of the chefs that he works with that is absolutely amazing um he's taking his place and Matthew McCart is moving to a different restaurant or he's taking some time off. So I just wanted to get that out the way. But I worked um at a restaurant it was called Ellis Table and it was on campus. It was a part of Colonel Hall, I believe in the inn, the little restaurant in the little inn on campus. And I love the food there. It was absolutely amazing. But one thing that I will always hear, and they don't specialize in this, but something that I will always hear working there was high Southern cuisine. And I'm a Southern girl. And I'm just like, oh, I need to get into this. What is this? And at the restaurant, even though they didn't really identify with high Southern cuisine, it was just like their modern takes or their just regular takes from like, a fried pork chop, or like meatloaf, or potatoes, like just the little things that they would do to this. I'm just like, oh my gosh, you just took a regular schmegler meal and made it absolutely wonderful and different. So I looked up High Southern Cuisine on Google, and Matt, Matthew McCarr was the first person to like pop up. And I was just like, I think this is super interesting. And I was just like, I love food, I'm Southern, I love Southern food, so let me go and chat with him and talk with him. And um, I called him up, we had a meeting, he was super open and honest and just like, just a, a super swell guy to be around. He was super cool, and that's how we connected, and we just kept chatting. We did a few interviews, and then, bam, COVID happened.
2: One of the things that really sticks out to me about Feed the Culture is this idea of this intersection of you know, women in BIPOC communities and food. And I think for a lot of folks... You know, the way to really experience a new culture is through the dining room, is through the food, right? What sort of things in that nature really excite you the most about taking in this event?
3: My favorite thing to do is to connect with other people. So I am super excited to see and share and take in this event with others that also love food, because in my head, I'm just like, this is a food screening. (laughs) Uh, This is a food exhibition. I think I'm more excited, or I am excited to actually go and connect with others. Um, There, again, is so many amazing people who are going to be screening, three other people who will be screening their docs and their episodes, but we're all different. So I'm excited to kind of connect with people, like you said, of different cultures and really talk about what food means to them and their food memories. On the website, there is a share your food memory memory and recipe kind of portal that you can go into and you click on it. and You can either type out a food memory or maybe a recipe or you can just share it online. Um, and I can't wait till those come out or we can see or show them because I submitted my own, but I know that there are other people who have their own experience to food where we can really connect over that something that is super what word do I want to say?
2: Well it's very personal, right? I mean the it's, the food that you, Yeah, the food that you take in, the food that you eat, you know, it not only nourishes you but it gives you a culture in and of itself. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm excited to to get the recipe for your grandma's uh, sugar syrup. I I hope you're willing to share that. (laughs) Neba, thank you so much for for being on Ozarks at Large. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Neba Evans is a documentary filmmaker and a producer for Arkansas PBS. You can find out more about Saturday's event, including the other films being screened on our website, ozarksatlarge.com.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. I'm pleased to be on the phone with Becca Martin-Brown. She's in her Bella Vista office. She's the Features Editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Welcome, Becca. Thank you,
4: Kyle. This is a very short news segment.
0: Okay. Okay.
4: BB had her baby Wednesday night about 10 o'clock. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet, but it's healthy and up and swimming and a whole bunch of... People are very excited about this.
0: I am going to guess that based on that description, B.B. is not a human being?
4: No, B.B. is a hippo.
0: Ah, where does B.B. live? At
4: the Cincinnati Zoo. Mm. Okay, everybody got really excited five years ago because B.B. had a little girl who was born way early Mm -hmm. and weighed 29 pounds, and nobody thought she was going to make it. But even, like, the Cincinnati Children's Hospital stepped in to help Fiona be raised by humans. Mm-hmm. And Fiona is five years old and fine, and now Fiona's a big sister.
0: Um, do you know how many uh, human beings are killed by hippos every year?
4: None at zoos. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well Next question. Okay. All right.
4: So now that we have set the scene, yes. which is news of the weird— yes. We have news of the weird in Northwest Arkansas. Please don't take offense that I'm calling any of these things weird because clearly I have just explained to you that weird things are very important to me.
0: Exactly.
4: The first one is a show at Arkansas Public Theater called Disaster. It's a jukebox musical, which by definition involves stitching together a story out of a set of songs. This time their songs from the 70s, so the show includes all right now, and that's the way I've always heard it should be, and hooked on a feeling. And you tie those all together, if your funny man Seth through Desky, by setting the story on a floaty casino populated by a faded disco star, a sexy nightclub singer with 11-year-old twins, played by one actress. Mm. It's hilarious. An untrustworthy businessman and a nun with a gambling addiction. And before the show, they're showing clips from The really campy disaster movies of the 70s, like Airplane. The show's hilarious. The singing is fabulous. 8 o'clock today and tomorrow, 2 o'clock on Sunday and again next weekend at Arkansas Public Theater at the Victory and Rogers, $25 and up. And then there's the Tawny Town Great Festival, which is weird only in that volunteers make 3,500 pounds of pasta every year, for a festival that's been going on for 123 years. Yeah. Our summer intern, Mary Beth Camp, wrote a wonderful story about an 86-year-old man, Henry Piazza, who remembers the Tawny Town Grape Festival when it featured 25-cent outdoor movies and glass bottles of Coca-Cola. The festival is today, with the museum opening at 1 o'clock. The spaghetti dinners are tonight from 4.30 to 8.30. Queen Concordia crowned at 8 o'clock, and then tomorrow there's a run for the grapes at 7 a.m., and a kid's run at 8 a.m., music starts at noon, and spaghetti dinners start at 4.30. Then there's a couple of weird things to look forward to. The Fayetteville Public Library is hosting Henry Rollins.
0: Frontman for Black Flag, and actor and writer and performer.
4: One might say <laughs> motivational speaker in a weird mm-hmm. sort of way. I would agree And his with topic will be Libraries are Punk Rock. It's August 12th, and I think you know the person who's going to moderate this.
0: That would be me. Yes, I'm incredibly, incredibly looking forward to this.
4: He's really amazing. And this is the first of a series at the Fayetteville Public Library that they're call, They're calling the Innovation Speakers Series. This starts at 6 o'clock on August 12th. You can line up starting at 5.15. And if you missed that, he's doing a show September 24th at Temple Live in Fort Smith. And finally, if you want to have a really unusual wedding experience, tomorrow is your day. All right. Because at 1.30, as part of the Summer Diversity Weekend in Eureka Springs, Eureka artist Zeke Taylor is going to perform a mass marriage at Basin Spring Park at one30 For anybody who wants to show up, you can get your marriage license tomorrow morning at City Hall in Eureka, $60 cash. The event includes wedding cake and flowers, and you don't even have to have a marriage license. If you want to use it as a vow renewal, come on. I think it would be a great place to get married.
0: That's a tour of the, of the, not of the ordinary.
4: That was the idea.
0: All right. By the way, it's 300 to 500 human beings killed every year by hippos.
4: But not at the Cincinnati Zoo.
0: Not at the Cincinnati Zoo. Not BB. <laughs> and, and baby
4: hippies yeah. are, babies are adorable.
0: Yes. They, oh, you yes, they are. They their
4: little ears. And you can go on Facebook and check the Cincinnati Zoo and see all sorts of adorable pictures of baby hippo.
0: Do not, Becca, Google South African man pet hippo. Just don't do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Becca Martin-Brown is the features (laughs) editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. (laughs) Becca, if if you're willing, we'll do this again next week.
4: I've been putting up with you for longer than most people have been married. We can (laughs) do this.
1: That's true.
2: Fans of Ozarks at Large are certainly familiar with Pat Ryan Key. The Arkansas native recently signed with Hill Records and came to chat and play a few tunes in
5: our Furman Garner performance studio.
2: You good? Mm All righty, let's get into it.
5: Hi, I'm Pat Ryan Key, and this is Messed Up.
6: Well, I know, baby, you said to. You gave me all your love, you and played it true. I blame myself. You know Well, I messed up Well, I messed up Well, I messed up Losing you Well, living long Is when you lose it all Your love now burns, Lord It's my fault, yeah And give him all my love And give him all my soul Well, I messed up Well, I messed up. Well, I messed up. Losing you yeah, I'm broken hard And time due Well, I'm missing you You're alone and burns low It's my fault
2: Fantastic. Pat Ryan Key, welcome to Ozarks at Large. Thanks for joining us.
5: Oh, man. Yeah, it's my pleasure.
2: Something I love about your music is there is uh, when I look at you and when I hear you, I, I, there's not a lot of lining up from me. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that in the most genuine, nice way possible. Tell me about what kind of music did you listen to growing up that made that voice come out of that body?
5: Man, I'll tell you. It's been a learning lesson, you know, because, so when I, I remember when I first became, like, self-aware, my dad was listening to a certain album nonstop, and Soundgarden had just released Super Unknown, that, like, they were already somebody, but that album just put them in this atmosphere, you know, uh, beyond recognition, like, and I just remember we'd probably listen to that six months every day. Yeah. I always traveled with him. And I guess as a young kid, not really knowing what the uh, substance was in the lyrics, my brain just sponged up all that music. But, you know, he listened to so many styles of music, and I was always the, the tag-along. And so it really bred me on classic rock, uh, Grunge, um, But then the ball didn't stop there. He listened to a lot of jazz. And there was this other band that was coming up at that same time called Morphine. And they still have such a huge impact on me. There was a three-piece, and they had a drummer, a baritone sax player, and the singer played a two-string slide bass. So it was just a really unique combination. And the singer of that, Mark Sandman, he just knew how to perform in a way that tugged your emotions and your heartstrings, and that made a big impression on me as a, as a young person, you know. And then growing up, I've just tried to uh, expand my palette, you know, and st- started out with Zeblin and Sabbath, and it turned into uh, Miles Davis and John Coltrane, and it's just, I love to learn new sounds because if i listen to something i'm not familiar with it inspires me and later i'll just have this new melody just come out of nowhere and i'll chase it you know and so i think that's really the the gift out of what's out there right now there's just so much music
2: it reminds me of when i was a kid the album there were two CDs that actually they were tapes <laughs> two tapes that played in my dad's car just over and over and the first one was the wallflowers bringing mm. down the horse um and just loved the way that Jacob Dylan sang and how You know, his voice never left about a four or five note range, but he could do so much with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tom Petty's The uh, uh, Wildflowers. Right. Those two records for me, like really influenced. And, And you're right. Like you don't realize how you're you're so influenced by. The songs you listened to growing up and how they really influence your vocal inflection. And I hear that that Chris Cornell, I definitely hear (laughs) in that that vocal range.
5: When I was younger, I didn't really appreciate his talent, you know. And and then when he came out with uh, Audio Slave, Rage Against the Machine, I was sold. No, I think you know, in the '90s, we're definitely in a golden period of music. Yeah, and I've been talking to my youngest niece. And you know the style of music she listens to. I'm not necessarily deterred away from it. It's not my choice. But my wife and I were describing what was on the radio when we were her age. You know, and you had rock music on the pop charts. You had hip hop, and you had country, and it was just so diverse. You know, you don't really see much rock music or blues or blues rock like being in the top 10 on the billboards today, you know, right. like we had. And there was, you know, Tom Petty, just nothing to beat. And yeah. Jacob Dylan yeah, having his father's influence, you know, shoot, man. It's like, we were really lucky to yeah. be alive at that time.
2: Tell me about, tell me about what it's like to be a guy with a nine to five job. Who's also still trying to make music, <laughs> still trying to be creative, still trying to live out that side of your life. What tension do you feel there?
5: Well, so, I've been on both sides of the fence. When I graduated from the U of A, I went right into a nine-to-five white collar, and for some reason, that, uh, it's more of a mental game when you're sitting at a desk working on a computer, and I was younger and more ambitious at the time just in terms of my, my will, so I was able to burn the candle at both ends very smoothly, and then music actually started providing opportunity where it was a choice. I was at a crossroads. Like, okay, okay, do I try to do both at the same time or do I run with music? And I went with the latter and did that full time just short of a decade. I was really, you know, hard on myself, but at the same time I had so much more freedom because music can become a full time job. But COVID happened and that kind of Put the brakes on stuff, but however, it was kind of nice. it was like a blessing in disguise you know unfortunately, for all the people who succumbed to covid, that period in time allowed me to kind of step back and remind myself why I even started music in the first place and it was be to be a songwriter and a record producer and so I took that little break that time off to record and write more music and during that time to where we are today from 2020, my priorities shifted, you know, and I definitely want to chase more of that content side and releasing more music. So I I, I took a, the initiative and, and started a blue collar job. And it's been really beneficial in the sense that I'm wearing myself out physically, but mentally, I have all these ideas that can percolate during the day, come home, you know, knock them out, run with the spirit and it's been really uh, fruitful, and I'm, I'm so thankful to have been able to discover that and run with it.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome. You got one more song for us? One more song. All right. So if you will, reintroduce yourself, give us the song title, and we'll go into it.
5: This is Pat Ryan Key, and my song, Tempted <laughs>
6: Nothing goes right Nowhere to run to Who put out the line For moon drive To get the mind right Well come on round It's not the same town head to the stove And give them a smile Tears that dry Faith don't lie Stay strong The struggle is gone Tears have dried, faith don't lie. Stay strong, struggle is gone. Well, I can be the one you need that you can lean on. Well, faith bring it down to your knees. How about a dream with all your hopes? Lots a dance, tomorrow's romance Come on man, it's not the same town Head to the stove and give her a smile Tears that drive fate don't lie Stay strong, the struggle is gone Tears that drive, fate don't lie Stay strong, the struggle is gone Your time So the mind's all made up Tears are dry they don't lie Stay strong, the struggle is gone Well, I can be the one you need that you can lean on Well, I can be the one you need that you can lean on Well, I can be the one you need that you can lean on Well, I can be the one
2: you need that you can lean on. Pat Ryan Key played in the Furman Garner Performance Studio earlier this year. You can find more of his
0: music at patryankey.com. This is Ozarks at Large. It's the first Friday in August. And for the first Friday in August, we are going to have a double feature of movies with Courtney Lanning. Courtney, welcome back.
7: Kyle, thanks for having me and welcome to our double feature.
0: You're probably not old enough, but when I was growing up, double features were a thing at the theater that I went to, especially on Friday and Saturday nights. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Let's start with uh, Prey. Okay. P-R-E-Y. Right.
7: Not not the talk to God kind. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> this is the, there are kind of monsters kind. This is um, part of a franchise.
7: It is. It uh, is. I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with Arnold Schwarzenegger's Predator. Came out in 1987, was a huge hit, was also lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have tried numerous follow-ups uh, with everybody from Danny Glover to Shane Black, and they all were quite terrible. Uh, so it's nice that we finally have a good one. And this is a prequel. This, this is not a sequel, That's correct. So all of the Predator movies are set in quote-unquote modern times. This one is actually set three centuries prior in 1700s America. And instead of hunting commandos in the South American jungle, the Predator is hunting a Native American tribe. What did you like so much about it? You know, (laughs) as crazy as it sounds, this is almost like an artsy Predator because the cinematography is so beautiful. I know it's set in the Great Plains, um, but it's it's filmed in Alberta, Canada. And so you have all these beautiful sweeping landscape shots of mountains and forests and plains. Uh, and there's, you know, really good misty shots partway through the movie. It's just it's it's beautifully hand-stitched.
0: You mentioned that it's in the 1700s. It's uh, monsters going after an indigenous tribe. This is not
7: the thing that Hollywood always gets right. Correct. And with the added pinch of salt that we are a couple of white people talking about this movie, I think it's a win for representation. Um, Most of the stars in this film are indigenous folks, including our main character. One girl who is trying to become a hunter herself, and she's the only one who seems to think that this predator is out there because she's skilled in tracking and medicine and axe throwing. And she recognizes, hey, uh, I've seen some strange ship in the sky. Mm -hmm. There's these big footprints that are so big they can't even be bear tracks. There's something out here. And and she's got to convince her tribe uh, and then eventually defend her tribe from this predator that wants to kill all the tribe's warriors.
0: I love the concept. You say the cinematography is beautiful. How much gore? How much violence?
7: Lots. This is a rated R movie. Okay, all right. Um, it's it's in line with the original, mm. um, but you know the the good thing about it. Every Predator sequel has had lots of gore. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that they've gotten right. But <laughs> unlike the others, this one pairs the gore with really smart writing and a really powerful lead. So not a kids film. <laughs> Definitely not a kids film. Unlike the next one we'll discuss.
0: Uh, it's called Luck and it's on Disney Plus. Um, oh no, Apple Plus. I'm sorry.
7: Sorry, yes, Apple TV yes. Plus. Yes. This is, you know, a first foray for a studio called Skydance Animation. This is their first peeking out into the world of animated films. You and I have talked before, this is a world dominated by the likes of Disney and Pixar and DreamWorks. Um, so it's it's always interesting to see a newer studio branch out and say, I'm going to try my hand in this. And this is this is a pretty decent first entry.
0: I have seen the trailer so many times because I watch. There's some shows I watch on Apple TV Plus, and they they've been putting this trailer for luck in front of everything. Um, the the basic story I think there's a a girl who goes to a place where they decide who's lucky and who's not, something like
7: that. Yeah. So the story follows Sam, who is the world's unluckiest girl, and the uh-huh. movie takes great painstaking lengths to show us that, and it's funny at first. You know all the really zany stuff that happens. How she, she drops her toast and it you know flip flops down the wall. She gets a flat tire on her bike and mm. uh, the pump handle breaks when she tries to reinflate it. So you see that she has to deal with this every day of her life for eighteen years. Um, and there's real stakes here. She's so unlucky that she aged out of the adoption system. Uh, a family did not come to take her home. So the movie definitely is set to pull on your heartstrings. Okay. But she has a best friend, a little girl who is also in the adoption system, who has a visit coming up with two potential parents, and she wants to get her some good luck. She finds a lucky coin dropped by a black cat, um, and she wants to give the coin to her friend because she realizes it's a lucky coin. All her bad luck disappears when she has it. Unfortunately, she loses it. And uh, she goes on a mission chasing after the black cat into what's called the land of luck. So a thumbs up for luck, or yeah, yeah, thumbs up for luck. Um, if the film has a downfall, it's that you know the lore is it's a bit needlessly complex for for a kids movie. You're you're dealing with making good and bad luck. It doesn't need to be this complicated. Gotcha. That's that's the only downside for the movie. It could have been simplified just a little bit.
0: All right. So pray is going to be is on Hulu today. Luck is on Apple TV Plus today. There's some stuff in theaters today too.
7: There is. Um, Brad Pitt has a new movie coming out, an action thriller called Bullet Train. He's on a bullet train in Japan. Uh, He's trying to steal a briefcase, and everyone's trying to kill him.
0: What will you be talking to me about next week?
7: Next week, I'll hope to review for you a new vampire movie out called Day Shift. What do we know about it? It's about a guy who is trying to pay the bills by hunting vampires and trading in the body parts for money.
0: Well, uh, you can read full reviews of *Pray* and Luck in today's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, as always, thanks for your time.
7: Kyle, thanks for having me. In the background are the Anderson brothers on saxophone and clarinet doing a monk tune, Baya. And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll hear more from the Anderson brothers. They'll be in concert at the Roots headquarters on August 20th. We'll also hear music from Julius Rodriguez, William Flynn, AM Octet, Roberta Brenza, and much more. Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums, And with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is Sherry Otaviano, our membership director. Welcome. Thank you. All right, all week we've been, um, because we're... It's Membership Appreciation Week. We appreciate the people who financially support KUAF Make This All Possible. We've been giving away something every day of the week.
8: Every single day. We just randomly selected uh, members to receive a special gift from KUAF, and those are going out in the mail this week, so be watching your mailbox. And there's a special gift going out to all members, actually. Um, So watch your mailbox for that, just a little something, just to say hi and thank you from the gang here at uh, KUAF.
0: Who is our winner today?
8: Today, I am very happy to say that Kathleen Trotter from my neighborhood of Lowell, Arkansas, oh, yeah. and a longtime listener and yes. supporter of our station. Um, I'll be sending her a gift. And I have one more, one more. I wanted to highlight and let people know if you've never listened to KUAF before and um, or you've never supported KUAF before and you want to do it, it Now's a great time. Being a a new member is is something special to us here. So I drew one new member from this past year. His name is Cole Dennison in Springdale, Arkansas. We'll also be sending you a special. Thank you.
0: See, Cole, you, you supported great public radio, and you get something in the mail as well.
8: <laughs> that's right. That's and how, right. Do you,
0: how do you support KUAF?
8: You can support KUAF by going online to supportkuaf.com. And um, you can also mail a check-in if you want to here to the station, 9 South School in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It's easy to do.
0: Now, you and I have been giving away uh, something at the first of every month.
8: Mm-hmm. Well, for a couple of years at least. At least. It's been two and a half years or more. You're not going to help me do it in September, are you? No, I'm not. I'll be here for um, to volunteer, but I am actually retiring.
0: First, congratulations.
8: Thank you. It's, it's bittersweet because um, I'm doing that so that I can spend more time with my husband and uh, family, and uh, we have the opportunity to do it. So I'm going to take advantage of that. Um, and it's incredible just how quickly I became close with all of the coworkers here, and saying goodbye is definitely, um, even though it's for a happy reason, is a pain, a little bit painful. Um, but to borrow from Lou Gehrig, I know someone you're very familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider myself to be the luckiest gal on the face of the earth. Um, because I've had the opportunity to do a job that allowed me to be a part of serving all of our listeners and work with the best group of people in public radio. And I'm not just saying that because I've listened to KUAF in all different uh, public radio stations and there's none like this. Um, But I believe in the work that we do here and that we do for our community and I appreciate with all of my heart having had a chance to be a small part of it.
0: Oh, so well said, Sherry. Thank you so much for everything you have done. we're going to miss you, but you have yes. promised that you will be coming back in to
8: say hello. I, I've already said this is not the last time you'll see me. I'll just be volunteering.
0: Yes, I want to point out you've also said you're not just going to pop in to say hello. You'll help us. Oh, absolutely. We're you to this, okay.
8: yes, yes. <laughs> you have my number. You know where I live. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, um, I just want everyone to know I made a counter offer that your family and your husband could work here. We wouldn't pay them, but you could be close (laughs) to
8: them that way.
0: That that, that offer didn't go anywhere. No, no. Well, thanks for all the hard work you've done and being a great team member. We will miss you, but we will see you
8: again. Absolutely. Thank you, Sherry. Love you, Kyle.
0: Marsha Ball. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Garfield. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Michael Tilly, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Thanks and best wishes to Sherry Ottaviano. Matthew produced today's show right here inside Studio 120. That's right. You have a favorite number, Matthew? A six. Why six? Uh, originally, it was uh, Stan Musial,
2: ah. uh, and now it gets to be Bill Russell, too.
0: There you go. Mine is five. Okay. George Brett? Uh-huh. Still George Brett. Okay, that's <laughs> All great. All right. Well, the Kendrick Fincher Hydration for Life is leaning into lucky number 13 this uh-huh. year. Uh, they are the foundation dedicated to promoting hydration and prevention of heat illnesses. They are adding this year a 13K bicycle ride and a 13K walk or run to the annual race to hydrate. That'll take place in October at Pinnacle Hills Promenade in Rogers. And if you register by August 13th, which is not that far away. Pretty soon. Yes. uh, You get to take, guess how many dollars off the registration fee? Uh, Five. No, 13. Oh, okay. All right. If you register by September 15th, you're guaranteed a 2022 shirt. There are also 5K events and other scheduled activities. You can register and learn more about start times for all the races at Kendrickfincher.org. And if you're going back to school, you might as well have a party. That's the idea in Van Buren Saturday, August 13th. Downtown merchants in Van Buren are making Back to School the theme for their monthly second Saturday shopping event. Live music, food trucks, face painting from 10 until 6 the 13th in Old Town, Van Buren.
2: From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Matthew Moore.
0: I'm Kyle Kellams. I'll be back with you Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large. We'll start a brand new week of daily shows Monday at noon and seven. But, Matthew, yes. what if I can't listen at noon or seven on Monday?
2: Well, that's quite all right because we've got a podcast feed. You can go to ozarksatlarge.com to catch all of the stories we've produced,
0: not just from this week, but from all weeks. Going back to 1990? Probably. Okay, we don't know. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Talk to you Sunday morning.